Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. She's imperfect, but she tries. She is good, but she lies. She is hard on herself. She's broken and won't ask for help. She is messy, but she's kind. I thought you liked doing this show. She is lonely. <laughs> Most of the time, she is all of this mixed up and baked in a beautiful pie. No, that's true. That's, that's right. She is gone, but she used to be mine. What are you trying to tell us, Beth Troutman? <laughs> I have no control over my brain, but I will say that this is one of my favorite songs of all time. And today is International Women's Day, and it's weird that I woke up. This song is kind of about what it's like to be, I guess, a three-dimensional human being. You know, you, she's messy, but she's kind. She is broken. Or she's lonely, you know. Th those are the things that we all are, right? I we thought you liked us, Beth. <laughs> you buried the lead. She's in a pie. <laughs> it's from the Broadway show Sweeney Todd. No, it's not. <laughs> this is actually from the Broadway show Waitress, which Sarah Bareilles wrote the music for. Uh, but she also recorded an album that she performed some of the songs. And this one, it just she'll be reckless just enough who gets hurt, but she learns how to toughen up. Beth Troutman, spoken word. When she's bruised and gets used by a man who can't love. Again, what did we do to you? <laughs> <laughs> no, in all honesty, I'll, I'll actually, I, I do have my, you know, I, I give you my, my, uh, my, my dime psychological evaluation of myself. I'm seeing an event today. I'm excited. I'm going to the, the Isabella Santos Foundation. I actually have to leave the show early in order to, to be there because it's a breakfast. And I you know, do public speaking and motivational speaking and things all the time, but I, I always get nervous. And I, I think it surprises people to hear that. So I always like to be completely open and honest for other people who are out there who feel nervous or I, I, I beat myself up before I do just about anything and so and I think that's how this song came to my head and every time I just said this to you off the air but every time you go and do what you're gonna do today and then I will see uh, the, the posts from people involved with the events and, and everybody loves you <laughs> so we, we all know how this story ends yeah oh what have you not doing. done well yeah exactly. you and Kevin Donnelly did the uh, was it dream on three dream on three yeah yeah we did that it was that was the end of uh, January I, it's funny because I do these a lot and I love to do it because it's a way to to give to these organizations and so many organizations that are doing incredible work it's a way to to offer your support and I love that but I always get nervous I'm surprised to hear that is what they really? always say, just picture yourself being in your underwear. No, wait. <laughs> picture them being in their underwear. Well, if that's the case, I, I have to put on a dress today. Like, I actually got up and blew out my hair, which I very rarely do. So I'm so sorry, guys, that you usually get me with, like, my 80s perm-looking hair. Um, but I, I have to wear a dress today, so I have, uh, I have to put on Spanx, <laughs> which I'm not 
super excited about. So I'm going to picture myself. for sharing that. <laughs> picture myself in my Spanx. I get. I, my whole goal in life is to be 100% honest, so other people feel comfortable in their own skin or well, their own Spanx. We already know you're going to do great because, first of all, Miss USA Teenager of the <laughs> Nation or whatever. <laughs> Well, don't bury the lead, uh, Miss Carowinds. Miss Carowinds. Well. Yeah. Junior. Junior. Yeah. Well, I was Junior Miss <laughs> and Miss Carowinds. <laughs> junior, senior, baby. It'll all be written into her introduction when she comes on stage. That's yeah. You may remember her as Miss Carowinds Junior. <laughs> so they always ask you for bios when yes. you do this. Yes. And, and did you put that in it? Heck no. No, come on. Heck Come no. On. I wouldn't. <laughs> How funny would that be? When she was nine years old, she was Miss Junior Miss Carolyn. Come on. Come on. Please. Please. Please today <laughs> work into your whatever you say, because we've all done these. I don't do them nearly as much as either one of you do them. But they always say, uh, give us a give us a bio. And, and then you have a few minutes to talk about, you know, introduction and about yourself a little bit. That's when you always sort of plug the show. And like, I know you will. Yeah, and, uh, I will and, plug the show. I, I don't do a great job ever of talking about myself but so what I, I want you to do somehow today when you're talking about yourself uh-huh, just work uh-huh, in, just uh-huh. work in the sentence and i'm a former miss carowinds uh, miss carowinds guys mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you may have seen my commercials <laughs> i'm a co-host of a local am radio show <laughs> um, heard regionally to, do you know what was fun about being miss carowinds a thing i never thought i would say out loud especially on a radio station I rode in all the Christmas parades around this area, so it would be like 20 Christmas parades. But I got to ride on the float with all the Hanna-Barbera characters, so it was like (laughs) me and Yogi Bear. (laughs) It was so much fun. I mean, as a nine-year-old, come on. You're hanging out with Yogi Bear all day. Hong Kong Fooey? Yeah. Yeah. Huckleberry Hound? Huckleberry Hound. But you know what was kind of— Snagglepuss? Snagglepuss. Yeah, yeah Snagglepuss was on there. So you know what was funny was... What? Danny Fontana, the way Oggy Doggy and Daddy Doggy's favorite son. Sorry. <laughs> Yogi Bear was... Uh, Yogi and uh, Boo Boo. Hey, Boo Boo. Oh. Hey, Boo Boo. That was my favorite. But the weird Rangers thing was... Move. We, I was with all of those characters before the parade started, so I would see them without their heads. <laughs> kind of ruined thought, it for I me. I thought they couldn't do that. I thought you weren't allowed to be seen without your... They'd get out of the van or whatever they were with, and they put the head on. I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on? Won't you get fired if you're Hugo or if you're Sir Purr and you, you talk? Like, I tried to talk to Sir Purr on a freight <laughs> elevator over when we were taking a Panther Stadium tour one time, and, and it's impossible. You can't get him to talk. You know, I actually knew the guy who was the Bobcat. Uh, what was his name? Larry the Bobcat? Or? No, Rufus. 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 <laughs> Rufus. Larry the Bobcat. <laughs> that actually would have been better than That's Rufus. That's about as random as Rufus. I know. Yeah. As opposed to Bob the cat. But I knew the guy who was Rufus. I, I, he, uh, he is married to a, a former co-worker of my husband's, and we've all become really good friends, and I knew him. Can I just stop get you for a second talk? and look at Zoke and look at John and go, of course she knows Rufus. <laughs> but I couldn't even get him to talk, and I knew the guy. So, yeah, they like take the, it seriously. Wait, married to a former what? Co-worker, of, co-worker of your husband. <laughs> Married to a former co-worker of your husband. Yeah, That's we be- tight. We became friends, and we are still friends. Like, we'll go to oh, dinner so at their like, house okay. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then inevitably she said, wait, you used to work at Carowinds, too? <laughs> <laughs> you were Miss Carowinds? Did hey, I crown you? put on your bobcat head. <laughs> when we come back, Teresa Payton joins us every Wednesday. But today, she's not in Charlotte. She's on the road. Mm-hmm. And not just anywhere. This is uh, pretty cool. Do you know what it makes me think of? What? Clarice. Ooh. I don't know if I'd say that to her or not. <laughs> don't, put, don't, don't put that thought in her head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've been talking to our next guest for years and years on this show, and I've talked to her. I've talked to her on a yacht 
Mm. She was on the yacht. Yeah, I was about to say, what? You in were on middle, a yacht? In the middle of the ocean overseas, and uh, you just never know where this telephone hookup is going to happen. But mm -hmm. I can tell you today, today, Teresa Payton is at Quantico. That's where she is right now. It's so cool. Am I right, Teresa Payton? You are right. Uh, I did not run on the same running trails that uh, Jodie Foster did in Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> but I did take a look at them, and I stayed on the road. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, you can see them, and you said, I'm just not going to take that same route. I'm just going to wave at those folks as I pass them by in my automobile. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing there this morning at this early hour? Yeah, yeah, this is an incredible week. Such an honor to be here. Um, this is the Cyber Academy that the FBI holds to strengthen partnerships between the FBI and private sector companies and those uh, protecting companies. Uh, it's an incredible week. We get to meet all these dedicated men and women who are serving the country in many different ways. Um, and uh, we actually get a little bit of hands-on demonstrations as well. Uh, but it's a really great week. It's Chatham House rules, so a lot of what we discuss here uh, won't, you know, be covered publicly. But uh, something interesting, due to COVID protocols, this FBI um, Academy for uh, Cyber was held last year in Charlotte, but it is back um, here at Quantico at the FBI Academy. Uh, and just a really great group of uh, FBI individuals that are here, as well as private sector. How lucky are we that we know that you are there making sure that our country and our world is safe? Because you, I feel like you know more information than just about anybody. So let's get into some other uh, security issues, some headlines that um, are super important this week. One that I saw that I wanted to touch on with you is about the, uh, the EPA and the public water supply safety. This is not something that you think about when you think of cyber security. No, it's not. And obviously, we all want to make sure we have clean, safe drinking water. And um, we've had two incidents in this country. And so people may not realize um, there was an employee uh, for one of the uh, water districts in Kansas in 2021 who tampered with the water system, remotely accessed it, and shut it down. Who needs nation-state hackers when you know a mad employee can do it themselves? There was another incident in Florida where somebody attempted uh, to poison the water, uh, again, through sort of technical means. So we've got a real challenge in this country where many of our water supply systems are supplied by smaller entities who don't have large budgets, who uh, you know, a lot of times this infrastructure was built to distribute water in a clean, safe way. And they didn't have to worry about people on the Internet accessing the systems um, and doing something. So um, we've got a real uh, danger here. But the good news is, is there's a lot of lessons learned from those two incidents. And they are being applied. And the EPA is asking all water districts, if you don't have the resources, please contact the federal government. There are grants. There are free resources that can be used. Um, every single uh, department that's responsible for water in this country, large or small, needs to take note of these new EPA guidelines. Teresa Payton, our cybersecurity expert from Quantico as we speak today. 
uh, getting set to uh, speak there and participate in uh, some training activities. Now, um, uh, there's a general question uh, that we've been sort of trading text with you about, about whether the United States is going to update laws for children's digital privacy. And, and on top of that, uh, an article that caught our attention in the New York Post, and it's titled, I Pretended to Be a 14-Year-Old Boy on TikTok, and What I Saw Terrified Me. And if you go further into this, uh, this person impersonates a 14-year-old boy, but really uh, creates an account, but then passively just waits in, to see what auto-generates mm-hmm. as far as uh, uh, other users on TikTok and would come into the, to their feed. And it really is mind-boggling again and what happens when all it's it's a passive account uh other than the fact that they you know join but but the 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 users that come in contact with someone who is purporting to be a 14 year old child is uh it's amazing what is out there and it's uh, it ought to scare you to death actually it really does and so this speaks to the black box that is algorithms of social media platforms. And uh, it would be interesting to do this study across multiple platforms with the same profile, with that, and you you said it, that passive approach. So it wasn't like this reporter said, now let me go look at some things and like some things and spend some time on things. Literally all the reporter did was set up a profile, said it was a 14-year-old boy named Jaden, and then waited, and they set up the profile on TikTok and YouTube. And the algorithm, without Jaden doing anything, decided a 14-year-old boy, let me serve you up narcissism, let me, you know, uh, serve you up misogyny, let me serve you up, look, here's a, a boy around your age with a fist in a girl's face. What is happening here? And so this is this is a real clear and present danger for our youth, but also for us as adults. We don't need to be served up this stuff either. So these algorithms, these black box algorithms, social media companies need to be held accountable. You should be allowed to set up a profile and decide what you opt out of, what you opt into. And certainly, and you know, we still have ratings for movies. And if, you know, movies had things like, this, you couldn't take your child into the movie theater. They had to be accompanied by adults. But on the Internet, they could just be fed this stuff all day long. Well, and it socializes young people to believe a certain way or to think a certain way about other people. This is the, the in, in a deeper dive or maybe thinking about this too much. You know, TikTok especially, and this, this report is about a TikTok account. There's so much discussion about how nefarious TikTok is because it is a, an app that is a Chinese-created app. Is there potential that within that algorithm there is nefarious intent in trying to socialize our culture to be divided, to be misogynistic, to be racist, to be sexist, all of those things in order to take away our freedoms and power? Well, this is a concern. I mean, so TikTok does have a U.S. headquartered office. They've talked about how they've been separating the technology, so it's U.S.-based to protect the privacy of the profiles and, and things like that. But it is a concern that misinformation and disinformation campaigns can be proliferated on all types of social media platforms. This particular platform, its origin story, is a company headquartered in China uh, that has a background in doing algorithms uh, around serving up music. Um, And then the algorithms have now been fine-tuned for the social media, sort of this video sharing 
commenting platform that is TikTok today. Um, the algorithms have somewhat leapfrogged in some cases. Uh, the algorithms of the other social media platforms, and it is not, um, you know, origin story, it is not a U.S. and initially originated uh, company. So there are some concerns that when you have another country, they could be doing influencing campaigns as well as censoring campaigns that don't follow the guidelines of sort of the United States and the moral compass here. All right, Teresa, we got to stop it there. Uh, let me say in closing that on International Women's Day, uh, I'm thankful for you, and yes. I'm thankful for Beth Troutman, two of the most impressive women uh, that I know. So uh, thank you for what you're doing. And uh, uh, Clarice, uh, I mean, Teresa, <laughs> I hope you have a, a great day at Quantico. Uh, thank you, uh, Bo. Thank you for that. And, and Beth, appreciate you so much. Happy International Women's Day. And Beth and Bo, be safe out there. WBT. Soda, OJ, purple stuff, and two kinds of Sunny D. Two kinds. Oh, right. Some kids love the rich and tangy taste of original Sunny Delight. Others go for the lighter texture and smoother orange taste of California style. Moms love the vitamins in both. Hey, your mom is cool. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Sunny Delight, the good stuff kids go for. Now, in that commercial from 1994, the mom's inside while the kids are outside playing and the yeah. mom's inside doing stuff. Yeah. They're going to have to update the commercial now. Mom's inside. Uh, <laughs> What's mom doing inside? She's having her own sunny day. <laughs> the kids are out playing. With mom, dad. Mom's, mom's having a cocktail, and that is because, and people our age, I feel like they're going to love this, Sunny D Hard Seltzer, folks, is here to quench your 90s nostalgia thirst. So all of us who were drinking Sunny D, who were coming in going, man, soda, purple stuff, orange juice. Oh, look, Sunny D. Did anybody ever really do that? Um, we now can go to our refrigerator. I actually pictured you doing that. <laughs> I did, too. I was about to say, if there ever was anybody, we know who it is you in this room. You would have been that kid. That's right. <laughs> well, now you can go to your refrigerator. I, I really feel like they need to update now this commercial and just have a bunch of adults go into the refrigerator looking for different cocktails at a cocktail party like martinis wine <laughs> oh look sunny d you know it's like it's like when people on, uh, online will will take childhood pictures and then recreate them as adults yes. you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yes i love when they do that like it's three kids in a bathtub at exactly. age five and yeah. then the the 45 year old versions of them do that That's it's weird so it's the great taste of tang, but with vodka. <laughs> well, I just thinking about that though. I certainly had tang when I was a kid. I don't. We we weren't like a big Sunny D family. Like mm. I, I'm sure I've had it somewhere, but I like Sunny D is basically like orange drink, right? We. Yeah, but it's not like orange soda, and it's a little different than Tang. I did love Tang as a kid, and it's mm -hmm. probably because the astronauts drank it. Of so course. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I would put that giant spoonful of it into the water mm -hmm. and just thought I was the coolest thing ever. But we started, and I think the commercial worked, guys. Maybe I was that kid that was like, orange stuff, purple stuff. <laughs> um, we, My mom would get Sunny D every now and again, and we did think that it was a big fat treat that we had Sunny D. But I, I, I what I remember, <laughs> this is so terrible, and I'm sure the hard seltzer version is a little no different. I had no idea you had this, like, Sunny D uh, <laughs> reservoir. <laughs> The things that I what I do remember is it left like this weird film, like in the back of your throat. Oh. Bernie's nodding. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was almost like it burned. You drink was... that, Bernie? Yeah. Oh God, bless your heart. So I would imagine the vodka maybe cuts through that, or maybe the vodka <laughs> exacerbates it. I don't know.
I just remember when they when they I specifically remember when they started running these commercials, Sunny D. And now that I'm older and I've seen how advertising works, I imagine them sitting around a table going, Sunny Delight, how can we make this more hip for the children? <laughs> Sunny D. <laughs> Kids love alcohol. <laughs> no. <laughs> just taking away the delight. Wait, wait. That's not what I was <laughs> That's saying. That's not what he meant. <laughs> I meant back in 19. I'm not talking about what, how this, this happened. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the marketing genius who took the delight out of Sunny Delight and made it Sunny D. <laughs> and now it's now it's a hard seltzer. Now it's a hard seltzer made with vodka, and starting on March 11th, <laughs> you will be able to get your hands on Sunny D vodka seltzer at select Walmart locations nationwide. And get this, it's a low-calorie option, ladies and gentlemen, 95 calories. Wait, wait, we're going to have a big day like uh, Friday. Let's get some chow chow and then wash it down with this Sunny D. Sunny D vodka. I know what they call it. it. And I bet you a billion dollars that if Sunny D vodka is popular, we're going to start getting like Sunny D tequila sunrise. Well, this is on the heels of, remember we were talking about the Cheerwine Ale that Noda Brewing is making? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also, uh, even before that, was the Bojangles Hard Sweet Tea uh-huh. that uh, Appalachian Mountain Brewery is making. Mm-hmm. All of these things we need to try. I mean, I think we need to try them all on the same day. Apparently, we need more alcohol in our lives based on all these. It's milk with alcohol in it. That's the only thing left. Hard, milk hard seltzer. Or just your faucet tap, oh. tap in the kitchen. Hey, look, it's just pure, it's pure vodka. vodka. The idea of milk hard seltzer, that just made me feel. Talk about a That'd be a great like, SNL friend. commercial, like one of those fake commercials. Yeah, that's just flashback to yesterday with uh, what, the, the, the protein powder in her coffee. Yeah, that was so mm, bad. Bad ideas. WBT, where business Talks, presented by Ram Pavement. Good morning, Bo and Beth and Jim Zoki, John Moore, Bernie in the house. And let's roll back to the market close on your Tuesday. Stocks finishing sharply lower after comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell suggested that interest rates may need to go higher for longer, fueling fears of a potentially larger rate hike at the central bank's next policy meeting. All 11 of the S&P 500 sectors ending in the red with real estate and financials, the biggest losers. JetBlue stock fell following news that the Justice Department is suing to block its merger with Spirit Airlines, saying the deal would reduce competition and lead to higher fares for tens of millions of travelers. The only Dow winner, Merck. The biggest Dow losers, Goldman Sachs, United Health Group, and Caterpillar. The Dow closing down 575 points, the Nasdaq down 145, S&P 500 down 62. Hillary Barsky, Fox News. Everything in the green this morning. Dow futures up 42, S&P futures up 6, and Nasdaq futures up 30 as we uh, roll our way towards 7 o'clock here on News Talk 1110 WBT. Coming up next hour, 720, Sharon Thorsland, who spent the day in Greensboro at uh, day one. Well, of that's the, where she was all day. Of the ACC tournament. Do you think now she was the only one there? <laughs> highly highly <laughs> possible, Beth. You think she's the only one at the ACC tournament? Yeah, besides the coaches and players. As far as day one, you mean? Yeah, and maybe like dad. I, uh, Not my dad, but She probably dad. could have an entire section to herself uh, yeah. if she wanted it. But yeah. Uh, there was actually, and we'll get to this later next hour, there, there was a really good article in the Observer yesterday about what day one of the of the ACC tournament in its current form is. Uh-huh. So hold that thought. I want to go to this thought, though. Uh, the number one skill I looked at for job interviews, very people had it, says this person who was the VP at Google for 10 years. And we see these kinds of articles a lot. But what she says here, I think, may be 
one of the most spot-on things I've ever heard. Well, and the, the the crazy thing about this is that she said very few people had it, and you're right. It is such an important skill. So let's tell people what it is. Claire Hughes Johnson uh, is the person who wrote this. She said, during my 10 years at Google as vice president, there were weeks where I would spend up to 40 hours conducting job interviews. So to make things easier, I always had one skill that I looked for in candidates before anything else. Anybody want to guess what it was? Yeah, let's, let's see if we guess. Mm. Hi, hygiene. Hi. Rapport. Can you build rapport with others? John Moore says building rapport. J- uh, Jim Zoki says hygiene. <laughs> Good communication skills. Good communication skills. All very important things to have. <laughs> Darn yeah. it, none of us. They, they should all be on the list. But here's what number one is. Self-awareness. Oh, none of us had that for the answer that we gave. Yeah, so you guys aren't, aren't aware enough of... I wonder we're all trapped in these jobs. I'm in the weeds. I'm never aware. <laughs> we haven't interviewed for like decades. I think, I think <laughs> articles like this, I mean, there's a new one every day. And people are offering, you know, here's what you do to knock out that job interview and what should be on your resume. But the older I get in life, forget just job interviews or just being... Yeah, just existing. Self-awareness. I think that's a really, really important thing. And I think very and look, I'm not saying this as to say I always have self-awareness. If anything, I look back in my life and I see moments where maybe I needed more of it. Well, absolutely. I think it's one of the hardest things is looking back thinking, oh, man, if I'd only had a little more self-awareness. But you're not alone, though, because listen to this. According to the CNBC article, it is actually a really rare trait. Research shows that although 95 percent of people think that they are self-aware, only 10 to 15% actually are. Mm-hmm. What metric do you gauge that by <laughs> on the self-awareness scale? Well, I would imagine there's some kind of, you know how they have like the Myers-Briggs test and those tests that, that are supposed to get down to the heart of who you are. I bet you there's a great test of all of these people going in <clears> thinking, <throat> I'm the self-aware guru. And then they come out and they're like, man, I failed. I failed at it because I think because people are in their brains all the time, it just seems inevitable that you're self-aware. But self-awareness also requires that you are aware of your impact on others, that you are aware of how others perceive you. And so there's actually in this article, if you want to figure out if you are, in fact, self-aware, they give you some uh, tips and some hints. Really? Yeah. On how to uh, how to check your self-awareness, the self-awareness assessment. Here are the things that you need to ask yourself or to look at in the course of your general day. You are lacking in self-awareness if you consistently get feedback that you disagree with. If you often feel frustrated and annoyed because you don't agree with your team's directions or decisions. Or if you feel drained at the end of a workday and you can't pinpoint why. Also, you can't describe what kinds of work you do and don't enjoy. Those are the four basic self-assessments that you can do in any general work day to figure out, hey, am I actually self-aware? Am I actually understanding my place in the world? I feel like social media has exacerbated this whole phenomenon. Like, I think there's so many people on social media uh, that will post things and you think to yourself, do you know how that's being interpreted versus the way you think it's being interpreted? Like, right. I wonder this to myself. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like there, there, maybe there is out there, but there should be a Twitter feed or a Facebook feed. Uh, it'd have to be all anonymous. But, like, translating posts, like, wh- what it actually says versus what it wants you to say. Like, like we, all know, we all know certain people who post things, and you're just thinking, A, B, C, D. What it really means is, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think of that all the time on social media because people in this business that we are in, we constantly are being told, like, you guys need to post more. You need to. And I look at people who are really successful at social media and I look at some of their posts and I think, like, I would never think to post this. I, it would never even occur to me to, you know, post what I ate for breakfast or how I teased my bangs. Here's my meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. Or, for example, like, if somebody posts about something and they post, like, six times in one yeah, day. definitely don't yeah. post that. What does that really mean? Yes. It means no one's responding to any of the posts that I posted today. Yes. Or not enough. It's kind of how I feel. I, I, I struggle even when I post every now and again. I struggle with... Hmm, do I even need to post this? Like the other day I posted a I read a book over the weekend and I loved the book and so I posted the book and I was like, is this like self-congratulatory? Like, look, I just read a book. Which means What a show off. You read a book. <laughs> In about 30 seconds, we're going to start getting emails about do you know how that last segment really sounded? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. <laughs> no Charlotte at 6 tonight because we have ACC Tournament Basketball starting at 6 o'clock with Jones Angel and Eric Montross and the gang from the Greensboro Coliseum. The uh, tip-off tonight... BC and UNC at 7 o'clock. That'll be the third game of the day. And uh, actually, uh, just programming notes here, it's going to be uh, an interesting show once you get to the 8 o'clock hour because Beth is leaving early today. She's going to MC the uh, Isabella Santos event that we've talked so much about. Yes, and I'm so excited. I get to get all dressed up in Parisian fashion. Um, it's actually not Parisian. It's Parisian. A, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a breakfast in Paris uh, oh, themed yeah, 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 event. Yeah, yeah. So I, I picked a dress that's kind of fun colors with big flowers and, you know. You like you a guys big, are, big hat? I don't have a hat. No, mm. no, no, no. I don't. I do. I do not like that hat. I do not like that hat. Good day. Good yeah, day. so I'm just I'm very very excited about going to to offer my support and my voice for the Isabella Santos Foundation. And we had Aaron Santos on the show last week. It's just an incredible organization helping uh, really find a cure for rare pediatric cancer. So yep. you can't beat that. So you're headed to Paris, uh, mm -hmm. eight o'clock. Yeah, I'm going to Greensboro. Uh, and I'm actually going uh, with my daughter up to see uh, Wake Forest play Syracuse in that noon game. So I'll be leaving at 9 today. So uh, both of us are leaving early at different times. Uh, the 9 o'clock hour will feature the uh, Brett Jensen-Pat McCrory tandem. Have we ever seen that tandem or heard that tandem before? Yeah. yeah? Oh. I mean, when Brett's filled in for yeah. Blow in the past and, and when Pat was doing every day. Okay, okay, day. okay. I thought yeah. this might be like a new kind of like – we need to break the champagne on the bow of the ship moment. <laughs> Pat used to be kind of Brett's boss. That is true. That <laughs> he was is like his assignment editor. We <laughs> well, that's closer to the truth. So uh, yeah, so it's been a while, but uh, so today uh, the eight o'clock hour actually Jensen's going to be in here uh, starting at eight o'clock uh, with me, and so I'll be I'll be here till nine. Beth will be here till eight. She's going to Paris. I'm going to Greensboro. All of a, a way to say that, uh, of course, the ACC tournament. Uh, get started day number two. There's an article yesterday that was written in The Observer, uh, and I want to make sure I give this proper. Uh, Andrew Carter writes in The Observer yesterday, this was Tuesday in Greensboro, after all. The upside-down smiley emoji of postseason basketball. The let's-get-weirdest-day of the greatest, or what used to be the greatest conference tournament of them all, the living embodiment of that meme that originated in a... Uh, 
and I don't know. What, see, I don't read the onions. So this is not going to make any make any sense to me. Uh, so I'll go down further and say ACC tournament Tuesday. Some not great basketball in a mostly empty building. A sporting display so bad and a little sad. It's kind of good. Hmm. Don't know what they mean by that, but um, it's it's essentially the the play in round. It's the first round, but you know, back in the day when they had nine teams, awkwardly had nine in the ACC. They had play in game of nine versus eight, and then they would pick up the tournament from there. And so, I mean, that's that's something that was in place back when they again just had nine teams in the league. You still had this play in kind of day. So in this case, you had three games but again it's by nature of it the bottom teams and so it's not supposed to be the most exciting because the top four teams get not only a bye but a two-day bye so they're not playing till thursday because the best teams don't even jump in until tomorrow let alone today so essentially you had three play-in games yeah on tuesday I mean, it is what it is as far as just why the is it number. called play in i mean they're playing inside right i mean it's like everybody's no, play playing, in. playing into, into the, the tournament, tournament bracket like, like, oh. you're not, like they're not really good enough <laughs> like like what louisville like they're all playing like, I, I, oh. like louisville won like four games or something this year so she's like these are just teams that are there so to they're playing see. into the tournament it's the acc's version of the dayton <clears throat> invitational mm-hmm. right that's what i was thinking yeah Got they, it. Now I understand. How the NCAA tournament <laughs> has the Tuesday and Wednesday games. Essentially the same thing. Yesterday, uh, you had Florida State and Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech moves on. Boston College beats Louisville. And uh, Virginia Tech beats Notre Dame and ends uh, the, uh, the, the, t- the coaching uh, tenure of the, uh, the coach of Notre Dame. Mike so they Bray, all Mike played Bray. into the tournament. Way to go, guys. So Syracuse <laughs> and Wake today at noon. Georgia Tech and Pitt. <laughs> Second game, BC and Carolina, like I mentioned, at 7 o'clock tonight. And then Virginia Tech against NC State. There you go, Bernie. Wolfpack getting it done starting. Or of course, you get like the, the midnight tip. 9.30. <laughs> It'll be over at midnight. 9.30 tip. Roy Williams used to always hate these games. He's t- you know, 9.30. And then if you, you get into the uh, March Madness games, uh, and you get like 9.50 and 9.55. Yeah. I feel like you're exhausted by that point. It's difficult. And especially, you know, for these teams that are lower seeds, it's next to impossible to win the tournament because you're playing day after day consecutively, and you have to win like four games in a row in four days, which is you know basically impossible. So they do make it difficult on the lower seeds, and or again, higher seeds, whatever they're called. Again tonight, uh, the Tar Heel game will be on WBT. I've seen a few people tweet this week or on social media saying, "Wait, the Tar Heel Network isn't covering the whole tournament anymore," and they haven't done that I think since maybe 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's just too a big a tournament now. I, I understand why they don't do it anymore. Uh, you know, back in the day, it started on Friday, and you had, you know, what, what eight teams, and you, they covered every game. And you don't need it. I mean, it's yeah. just like, it was a, so stations have to turn their programming over, like WBT, mm-hmm. back in the day, and it was to be this big deal because we'd taken Rush Limbaugh off the air to have, in this case, Boston College and Louisville yeah, playing. And it's yeah. like, and you were forced to take all those games. So this is better just to do the games that you're intending to carry anyway as a as a affiliate. You know how they used to do at the Panthers Stadium? They would do Football 101 where you could come mm-hmm. and take like football classes with Panthers players. I, I used to MC some I, of those, yeah. I, yeah, I, I did too. I think it would be really fun one day with you guys to do just a couple of segments on the etymology of sports terminology. Like play-in? Like play-in and like bye week and like the first seed. I mean, what? who came up with What's all this What's that got to do stuff? with edamame, though? Did I say edamame? No, I, st- I did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Etymology. Wait. Wait, what don't you understand about number one seed? Why is it seed? It seems like it should oh, be okay. seat. Okay. Like it, like, I thought you because like, they're sitting in the first seat, like if you're in the marching band, your first chair. <laughs> I thought you meant like, what does that mean? It means you're the best team, Beth. I get it, but who came <laughs> up say, with why the why is word, it a seed? Why is it I a seed? I understand that. Are you planting? Mm-hmm. I want to know the etymology of some of these words. Don't you think that would be a fascinating thing? <laughs>
I've never heard the word etymology used so many times. <laughs> well, I think we need to call Sharon Thorsland and get her on the line and get her to explain all of this. Exactly. Oh, let's get the etymology of the seeds. Coming up at Sharon. Uh, 720, Sharon will join us from Greensboro, where she's covering the ACC tournament, which uh, recommences at noon today with Wake Forest and Syracuse. Right? Are you taking her parking pass from yesterday? Is that how that works? So uh, you guys meet halfway, like in High Point or somewhere? Oh, yeah. Good, idea. Um, Good idea. Really quick before we go to uh, traffic, my, my father just texted me and he said, what? You're going to Paris. <laughs> he just heard the uh, beginning of the segment. I have to clarify the theme of the uh, event that I'm emceeing this morning is like a breakfast in Paris, a morning in Paris. So I'm going to Carmel Country Club. Uh, the Waniac should be really jealous because <laughs> I'm going to breakfast in Greensboro. <laughs> Good morning, BT. All right, News Talk 1110 WBT. Hours away from day number two of the ACC tournament. But before we get into day two, I just want to know, I want, I want Sharon Thorsland to bring us uh, just, uh, just take us back yesterday to the excitement, the one shining moment, or actually three because there were three games. Uh, just, just sort of convey what it was like to be in that building yesterday, the magic of day one at the ACC tournament. I know that y'all are being sarcastic. However, <laughs> it was really cool. Um, I thought it was just walking up to the arena. It's been such a long time since the tournament was in Greensboro, and just walking up to the gates there and to see you know all the acc logos and it's like oh you know it's like back to the good old days and so it was fun in the arena itself and they've done so many upgrades to it that it was amazing on the inside and granted there was only like one acc team in there or two if you call florida state because they weren't original but um, with georgia tech and florida state the rest of it was like big east basketball but um it, it was still really fun it was fun and sort of reminiscing about the the good old days of, you know, seeing all the fans, because there were a lot of fans from every team there still. You know, I saw oh. people with their Carolina gear, their NC State gear. I mean, every single team was well represented yesterday in the concourses, um, even though there were just six teams playing. And um, like I said, four of them, technically the Big East. <laughs> so it was still fun. I'm sorry Bo was so negative when he brought you on. Hey, with this whole thing hey here. I'm, I'm going there after. I'm leaving the show early today to go to the, the tournament. So, look, I'm excited. I just know that, uh, you know, for those of us who grew up on uh, the Friday start with the eight teams and yep. back, that's never coming back. We know that. But I know. When the, when the last time the ACC tournament was in Charlotte, what I think that was 2019, I went on the first day. Mm -hmm. And the first day is interesting because you buy a ticket and it's general admission because the bottom-tiered teams, I was talking to Beth about this often, the air. Look, um, we know it's a stretch to even think about Boston College uh, as part of the ACC. It's still weird. So uh, in years where Boston College is not a great team, they're a 10 seed this year, you know, asking somebody in Boston to go all the way to Greensboro to see a team that's not doing so well, you know, you're not going to get a huge fan base. But then today you start getting, uh, you, you, by the time we get, uh, I mean, we got Wake, Wake Forest playing and then, of course, North Carolina. I don't know if you know this, Sharon, but they're playing tonight at 7 o'clock. Really? Against BC. <laughs> and then NC State, which, uh, you know, NC State, uh, most people are expecting to do some damage in the big-time tournament. So uh, this is the day when it really gets underway uh, for, for most of the non-casual ACC fans. And so I want to ask you, uh, what are you anticipating about your Tar Heels? Do you think they have a shot to win this tournament? I think that if the team that showed up and beat Virginia, the team that showed up and beat Clemson, the team that can actually shoot three-pointers, 
yes, we have just as good a shot as anybody else to win this tournament. Um, I know that people are probably rolling their eyes with my Carolina bias. However, <laughs> I mean, when, when they're hitting their threes, I mean, they're an incredibly good basketball team. And, um, you know, they, they've shown that with the, the teams that they have beat when they can hit threes. I mean, I saw a stat last night. Carolina is 11-1 and one when they make eight three-pointers or more. That's all they got to make is eight three-pointers, and they're 11-1. and one. But when they go, you know, two for 21 and three for 28 or whatever, like they've been in their losses, they, they can't win. So if they can hit from deep and, and get a couple of those outshot shots to fall, then absolutely. I think they can. And the bracket sets up fairly favorably for them, the biggest um, hurdle early on it would be Virginia tomorrow if um, they get by Boston College tonight, which I anticipate they will. Um, it would be getting by Virginia tomorrow um, would be the, the next toughest opponent. And then, of course, the winner, assuming that NC State moves on tonight, would be NC State or Clemson. So, mm-hmm. And they've beaten all, all of those teams that are in their way to um, possibly make up a, a showdown against Duke, Miami, or Pitt, probably. Um, well, in I should have asked so, the question. Yeah, I do. I should have asked the question <laughs> a little differently. This is what I really should have said. Sharon, does North Carolina have to win this tournament to get into the NCAA? I do not think so. I, I think that if they get um, at least uh, – I think if they make it to the championship game, for sure they would be in. And I think even possibly two – um, wins, um, beating Boston College Day and Virginia tomorrow. But I, I think there's some serious just negative ACC bias going on around the country these days because the fact that you've got, you know, I mean, some some teams, I'm like, how are they ranked? And, like, say Duke. I mean, Duke's won six straight, and much as I, you know, hate to give Duke any credit, you have to give them credit. They've actually been playing really well. They've got a bunch of freshmen that are playing amazing right now. So, you know, how are they not ranked? How are some of these teams in the ACC not ranked and, you know, say – uh, I don't know. I'm pulling something out of a hat, you know, uh, Texas A&M or whoever um, is ranked. So I, I would have – I just can't imagine that there are that many teams that are better than um, North Carolina in the country in spite of their struggles against some of the quote-unquote quad one teams. So I, I would have to think that uh, for sure three wins would get them in. I just can't imagine that it wouldn't. So, we of course, we have Sharon the Tar Heel. We have Beth Troutman the Tar Heel. My wife Sandra's a Tar Heel. Are you like them that the next best thing to North Carolina winning is that Duke does not advance and win the tournament? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's definitely the next best. Um, that would be the the next best thing to have happen. So, And then um, I know Bo um, is, a, is a Wolfpacker fan, and I actually I love NC State's like my Second, second or third. I was a tie between Virginia and NC State for my second favorite team in the ACC. So if, if one of them could pull it out and do it, especially NC State, that would be great fun. Well, so I mean, I, I, I I'm, a, them, I'm so. a Wolfpacker, but my daughter now goes to Wake Forest, which is why I'm leaving uh, early today to go see Wake play at Syracuse. So I have, I have divided. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm divided now. <laughs> so. House divided. Yeah, that's exactly okay. right. All right, so Wake the Tar Heels. Has a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Tar Heels play. Sorry, to, Rusty Bevel. <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty much with you there. The Tar Heels uh, play on WBT tonight as well. That starts at uh, six o'clock uh, with uh, Jones Angel and company, and then seven o'clock is the tip-off. And then the the seeds that uh, have a double by Miami, Duke, Virginia, and Clemson tomorrow. So uh, now we're getting into the meat and potatoes of this tournament, uh, starting today, and then with Syracuse and Wake Forest. So real Sharon? quick, real quick, Sharon. Beth was yeah. asking before you came on, why are they called seeds? Instead oh, of seeds. Why are they? Like, why is it the number one seed? Like, where's the word seed come from? Seeded with sports, I guess, because that's how they are seeded. So they're becoming a seed, I would suppose, right? I haven't ever really looked into that. She wanted to know the etymology of it. Yeah, I, 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 it doesn't make sense to me that it's seed and not seat. 
It's like a, like like when you're in a band, you know, if you're really like good, you're the first seat. Orchestra. You're the first chair. Oh well, yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we, we, didn't, we didn't know exactly either, so we thought we'd ask you. I think it's because you are seated, you know, first, second, third, fourth, Like whatever, they're going to so plant gonna you? Seed. Like plant? You're sure. going to be planted? Karen's like, like we told, I was told there'd be no math. <laughs> These are the things that happen in my brain, Sharon. <laughs> All, right. All right, Sharon on WBT Sports. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, guys. Across the streams with Brett Winterbull coming up in just a few. Next hour, Brett Jensen will be in here, and uh, the governor will be with Brett Jensen in the 9 o'clock hour today because Beth's about to leave, and I'm going to leave soon after. Uh, she's going to Paris. I'm going to Greensboro. I'm actually not really going to Paris. I'm going to a Parisian-themed uh, event for the Isabella Santos Foundation. I'm uh, the MC this morning, and I'm certainly honored to, to be there. But I have to, to head out a little bit early because I need to be there by 9, and I have to change into a dress so that I don't look like I work in radio with a bunch of dudes. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, you're getting mail from AARP. We do one segment. <laughs> we do one segment about readers, and suddenly AARP bulletin emails are showing up in my inbox. This one, however, is incredibly helpful. This is the title, Health Truths That You Actually Can Ignore. I like it when I hear these things because you know how you have that voice in your head that's constantly saying to you, you're doing it wrong. Or don't drink diet soda. Yeah, well, that one's not on here, Bo. I think mm -hmm. that one's uh, one that we all know. Mm -hmm. But here are some <laughs> of those health quote-unquote truths that we don't necessarily have to listen to. Number one, according to AARP Bulletin. <laughs> I like this one. You've heard this over and over again. You need 10,000 steps, right? You need 10,000 steps a day to boost your longevity. You've heard it. I've heard it. You actually can ignore it because according to the latest research, as few as 6,000 steps can actually do it. That was in a 2022 study that found that adults over 60 and older who clocked 6,000 to 8,000 steps daily had a 50 to 60% lower chance of an early death. So... If you've got one of the smart watches like I do, where did my watch go? Oh, <laughs> you should be able to call it. <laughs> She's literally picking up her wrist up. If you have a smart watch like I do, and there was nothing on it. <laughs> I forgot. I spilled my coffee on my watch this morning coming in. As I was getting out of the car, I just poured it onto my watch. I was letting it air out. I was, I was drying it out over here. <laughs> so you drink your coffee through your watch? <laughs> That's coming, Jimbo. That's coming. That, that is a smart that watch. That is a smart watch. The health claim number two that you can ignore, and this is for both of you guys, Jim and Bo. Y'all are runners. You've probably heard this over and over again. Running will damage your knees. Have you heard that? Mm -hmm. But well, we have QC Kinetics, mm -hmm. so we can do it. Well, that's the claim, and if you don't use QC Kinetics, studies in recent years reveal that running does actually not raise the risk of knee problems. So they've been lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love when I say things and y'all just, just stare at me. That, that, what just happened is very about, unusual. About, now, about once a day now, <laughs> she'll say something. I wish people could see it. And she'll look like, nothing? <laughs> nothing. Never. You have no response. It's, I didn't know what to say if it was like it did or didn't, so it does not damage your knees yes, to run. Yes, according to mo the most recent studies, running does not damage your knees. I would think knees. it wouldn't be 100%, but that it would be a wear down over time. I love when I'm the running. one who comes with like, oh, like, guys, this is a fascinating article, and y'all stare at me like I have one eye in the middle of my forehead. <laughs> 
<laughs> Number three, you've probably heard this claim. You need to drink eight glasses of water a day. Oh, uh, yeah. Tell me about this one. Bo, I know you've heard this one because you I drink have. diet soda all I the time. I have heard and it. you hate and water. And I think I know what you're going to say, and, and it's what I was told. Okay. Here is what science actually shows. Many people aim for the often recommended eight glasses of water a day, but there is no science behind that number. Um, uh, urine color is actually the good indicator. <laughs> Was not expecting that <laughs> word. I, actually, at this point, I was expecting that. What if I've had asparagus? <laughs> that has nothing to do with the color. That's John the smell. Moore. That's the odor. Uh, um, so what they're saying is that you don't have to necessarily be looking at the goal of the number of glasses you drink. Just pay attention to your excrement. <laughs> Boy, 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 now there's there's a, a sentence that John Moore is going to isolate. Now you got nothing. Your excretions. Now, now you got John's attention. No. I'm I've always thought that was kind of random, too, eight glasses of water. Yeah. And then they also claim, and I get the fact that if you have water mixed with alcohol, that the alcohol is a, a detriment, but there is water in other things. Yes. If you're mm -hmm. eating an apple or just mm -hmm. drinking juice or whatever. Mm -hmm. I know this is going to make everybody go, oh, this is terrible. There are plenty of days where I go and don't drink actual water. Oh. The entire day. Oh I, dr gosh. I drink things with water. I drink Propel, and I drink Gatorade, mm -hmm. and obviously the, there's water in the, the soda that I drink. But I don't, I'm not, I, I worried for a while about, people were telling me, you got you got to drink eight glasses of straight water every day. And I just don't like water. My but kidneys I, actually hurt listening to you say mm -hmm. this. Well, My kidneys Have you are checked aching. your urine recently? Yeah. <laughs> I just have one thing to say, Beth Troutman. You pay attention to your excrement, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> There's a promo. Yeah, we just put it out there for you, John Morris. Just right there on the platter. <laughs> I like the authority in which you said it too. I do too. You pay attention to your excrement. <laughs> I know we're close, Bo. Not but... mine. <laughs> you said it first. <laughs> I didn't say I was gonna look I'm at yours. <laughs> I'm just being. <laughs> All right, it's uh, a self checkup. We, we just we talked about the fact that once a day, uh, Beth renders Zoki and me speechless, which is hard to do. Right. Uh, there's a, a one point each day, at least one, where I'm thinking Pam's like, well, "How do I even follow that?" Definitely. We're going to find out right now. It's definitely my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, go, help me out, Pam. I, I try sometimes, there. Beth, <laughs> oh, oh, no. and sometimes I just can't. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it is my fault. You're the worst. No, just kidding. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> Brought to you by Window Nation. Crossing the streams. AM version. We do it in the afternoon as well every day. Either Beth or myself join Brett Winterbull on his show at 5.05. And every day at 7.50, we bring him into this circus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I love the High Wire Act. Uh, I, I love right. the... Uh, the big net beneath us. I think it's phenomenal. And some yeah. days there is no net. I, I was about to say, I think on this show, <laughs> no. most days, no net to save me. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, my Lord. I have a lot to ask you about. I know Beth does, too. Uh, and we, we did not, uh, we had uh, a technical issue yesterday. And I didn't get to go this far. But uh, I certainly want to delve into one of the stories that is really percolating out there. And it's what Tucker Carlson, uh, you know, the, the yeah. video, the, the yeah. video that he obtained from Kevin McCarthy uh, from January 6th, and he aired that a few nights ago, uh, and there's a lot, there's been a lot of reaction to it. Uh, one notably locally here, uh, among the 
uh, senators that they talked to on Capitol Hill. Uh, Liz Brown Kaiser is a reporter for NBC News, says that she talked to Tom Tillis yeah. yesterday and asked him about Carlson's claims about the January 6th attack. And uh, uh, Senator Tillis said it was BS. He says, quote, when you see uh, police officers assaulted, all of that, if you're just a tourist, you should have probably lined up at the vid- visitor center and came in in an orderly basis. But, you know, the takeaway from this is that you're seeing all over social media is that Tom Tillis uh, called what uh, Tucker was saying the other night BS. Um, and there have been other, and you Mitch McConnell reacting to this yesterday. I'm curious, where do you come down on this as we stand right now? Well, I've, I've watched, I've watched the videos that have, that have been released. Um, I, I, admittedly, I wasn't in the chamber. I wasn't in the building. I wasn't even in the city, uh, on that day, just so Merrick Garland doesn't feel like he has to come and kick my door in. Um, but, uh, with all due respect to Senator Tillis, the, the video don't lie. Uh, you can see Capitol Police kind of showing some of these people around, including QAnon Shaman. Um, So uh, I I get it. He's probably still very mad about what happened on January the 6th. I think a lot of people are still very angry about that. But you still have hundreds of people who have been left in a jail in Washington, D.C. for 26 months that haven't even had a trial yet. This is pretrial detention. Um, which is a violation of, 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 of everything that we believe in in this country. So I get it. Senator Tillis is upset. He feels like uh, they were disrespected. But the videos are the videos. And I don't, I don't say that there was no violence. Of course there was violence there. You had, you had cops sh- shooting, uh, shooting grenades into the crowd, right? You had smoke bombs. You had concussion grenades. You had people being idiots coming in and hitting cops with whatever fire extinguishers and sticks. And uh, you had a stupid guillotine built uh, and a hangman's new. I mean, uh, there was a lot of, of, of moronic behavior out there at the protest. Let's be honest about that. Um, and I say all the time on my show, I think there's about 40 percent of this country who's too immature to be part of the political process. Uh, I, I think they ought to just go back to LARPing and video gaming uh, uh, for, for their spare time. And if you want to give me any grief about it at Winterbull Show on Twitter, uh, if you if you want to if you want to call me out on it. But the videos that I've watched for the last two days indicate something very different than what Tom Tillis is, is seeing. And maybe maybe Tom Tillis didn't see all that sort of stuff because they were they were running, being evacuated out of the chamber. So he may not have seen these videos or or just doesn't remember. Well, don't you think it's interesting, though, that the 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 guy who is known as the QAnon shaman, I mean, he was charged and he actually in court pled guilty to all I believe it was nine charges. Yeah. And then they spoke. Um, different reporters have spoken with the head of the Capitol Police who suggested that, look, the, the officers were outnumbered more than 50 to one mm-hmm. um, and that they used different methods of of behavior within the Capitol to try to de-escalate some of the mm-hmm. situations. And that so mm-hmm. maybe some of this, and also in, in the way that Tucker Carlson released the video, they didn't mm-hmm. reach out to Capitol police for any kind of context of what was actually going on in the video. So he suggested the, the Capitol police suggested that what was happening in that video that Tucker Carlson released wasn't necessarily the full story because well, he not. didn't yeah. get he didn't get the context of what right. was being shown in that moment. Right. It's what it's like forty thousand hours of video or yeah, four thousand hours. I think it was forty six thousand. Forty six thousand hours of video. And so that means that the Capitol Police probably didn't see uh, these these videos, right? The, the the videos that he's showing on on. T- I mean, and they I were supposed he's... to, but the, but the the Fox News folks didn't reach out to them as promised to get the context. No, but they had, but they had the capital. The Capitol Police had these for twenty six months. 
I mean, they, they had the, all the access to this stuff. The, the J6 committee had access to this stuff. I, I mean, this is this is the problem. Uh, I, I get it. The, the QAnon shaman is a terrible person and he's in jail and he's going to be in jail for whatever, five, 10 years, whatever it's going to be. Like, I would never go, I would never breach. I would never go in there and pull that kind of stuff because I think it's stupid. But uh, the uh, the reality is the Capitol Police look really bad. And, and the um, uh, they, they, there needs to be an explanation. It's actually Nancy Pelosi. It's got to be sitting in the dock uh, answering the questions here because she was in charge of security in the run up to this riot stuff. I was reporting on the air about about the, uh, the the alerts that were going out to the Virginia uh, office of the FBI warning about the potential for violence. Apparently, Nancy Pelosi didn't know that or didn't care about it. And the Capitol Police didn't take the appropriate action either. This is this is a failure of, of massive proportions. And I'd like to see uh, everybody held to account, especially the people who, who, who took a knee. Well, and uh, a, a good bit of the video footage that uh, Carlson was uh, putting out there a few nights ago uh, was footage of the shaman and some of these other people uh, that were walking in the Capitol. And if you looked at the demeanor of the uh, the cops and the, yeah. the law enforcement people, they did not look like there was anything major going on. Now, uh, you know, this is all this is all subject for debate and it will be and it will continue to happen and i know you'll be talking more about that this afternoon uh real quick got about 30 seconds what's coming up also uh we're gonna we're gonna go a deep dive on the cartel stuff i'm actually i'm not going to talk much about this this afternoon but i am going to talk about the cartel stuff because america is under attack and if 107,000 americans died at the hands of al-qaeda we would expect action from a president who is totally checked out brett winterville starts at three today here on wbt whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. News Talk 1110 WBT, 7 past 8 o'clock on Good Morning BT. And, of course, uh, this has been one of the stories that has been ever-present for the last uh, a couple of days or so, wherever you go, to South Carolinians rescued and are recovering at a hospital in Texas, but two are dead uh, after heading into Mexico and getting kidnapped. And uh, for the very latest on this this morning, how the uh, the government is responding or not responding, depending on who you talk to, here is Fox's Brooke Singman. We are learning that Shahid Woodard and Zendel Brown were already dead by the time authorities arrived on scene. The two other victims, Latavia McGee and Eric James Williams, survived the horrifying kidnapping and are back in the United States. All four traveled from South Carolina to Mexico so McGee could get a tummy tuck procedure. McGee's mother giving this update, quote, She's doing okay. She was crying. She watched two of them die. They died in front of her. The victims were held hostage in a rural part of eastern Mexico where officials say they likely got lost and were mistaken by members of a drug cartel for rogue drug mules. Mexican police arrested a 24-year-old Mexican national in connection to the violent kidnapping. The suspect, identified as Jose Guadalupe N, is accused of guarding the shack where all four victims were found. Authorities didn't say whether he is involved with the cartel. The kidnapping was caught on surveillance video. The footage shows the moment when all four victims were dragged into the back of a pickup truck. The suspects holding long guns and wearing bulletproof vests. Now that we know the fate of all four victims, all eyes are on the White House response to the cartel's senseless violence. The violence aspect of it. Now Americans are being slaughtered. Would President Biden be taking the same approach? 
approach if it was al-Qaeda or ISIS operating just across the border from an American city? The president takes this very seriously. He takes this very seriously. The FBI and other agencies have been on top of this uh, from day one. And so that's what he's going to continue to do. Uh, when it comes to Americans' lives and when it comes to their, the safety of Americans, the president's always going to make sure that that is a top priority. Would President Biden ever consider using the U.S. military to disrupt cartel operations? I'm, I'm just not going to get into um, the military and how it's being used. On Monday, Senator Lindsey Graham announced his intention to introduce a bill that would designate the Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. Now, that would allow the United States to use military force against them. So, again, uh, two Americans are dead and the other two rescued and recovering at a hospital in Texas. And uh, this is this was a group of people from South Carolina. Lake and City. Yeah, and, and uh, you, you heard the, the report as well. And I know Mark was talking about this last night, the tummy tuck. Uh, that's what they were in search of, that's that, that procedure. And so uh, Brett Jensen now joins me, and he's going to be with me, uh, be with us until 10. I'll be here for one more hour before I depart and head to Greensboro for the ACC tournament. So uh, you'll be here next hour with Governor McCrory. So yeah, it's kind what of time like a, does Wake Forest play? Uh, noon. Okay. Yeah. No, I literally didn't know. I wasn't trying to be snarky. I no. literally didn't know. Uh, day two of the ACC tournament. Uh, so this will be a story. I know you were talking about it on your show as well last night. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on this based on what you've seen so far? So I understand why people go across the border a lot for when it comes to medical procedures, especially Mexico, where it's so much cheaper, cheaper for breast implants, butt implants, tummy tucks. Like, it's a whole thing. Like, they actually go across the border because it's cheaper. What they generally don't do is drive across the border because they're saving so much money by doing it that they can actually fly there. And you can get relatively decent flights into Mexico, different parts of Mexico. And the fact that they drove, you know, you have to do research. I think most people would know that Mexico is a very dangerous country. It's one of the, considered one of the more dangerous countries, in the, especially certain parts of it, in the entire world. And the closer you get to the U.S. border with Mexico, the more dangerous it gets because a lot of the times the cartels want to control what's going in and out of the country in terms of America. And so it is, uh, like, it's a horrible situation. I, I'm surprised they actually tried to drive. I understand they were trying to save money and all that. I get that. But at the same point, I mean, you have to know, especially where you don't know where you're going, what area you're going to. Not everything in Mexico is like Cancun. And I'm surprised they didn't do a little bit of more research or know that, or maybe they did know and thought it was worth the gamble. I don't know, but it's a horrible situation. It's been all over Fox News and CNN last night as I was sitting here, you know, doing the show last night. It was everywhere. And then this morning, it's like it was all over the news just a minute ago, all of the national news and media outlets. And this is a big story that and I think this is a tale. If you're going to actually want to go to South America or Mexico or somewhere in Central America, I think the the prudent thing to do would be to literally fly because you don't want to drive across the border. Now, I want to ask you a question. Uh, this is a guy saying this who traveled through one of the most dangerous parts of the entire planet last summer. You went to Kiev in the middle of the Russia-Ukraine war. Have you ever been to this part of Mexico? I haven't. No, no. And, you know, the thing with Kiev was I did all my research beforehand about which were the best routes to go through? Should, it, should you come in through Moldova or Romania or Hungary or Slovakia? And the best route and the safest route was to go through uh, coming, coming out of Poland. And so you look to where the fighting is. The fighting was not on the side of the country that I entered in. 
And so, like, I did a lot of due diligence, and, you know, I even well, I was in contact with the State Department, the Polish government. And I know maybe not everyone would have the, you know, the wherewithal or the, or the know-how to do that, but something as simple as Mexico, and, you know, it doesn't take that much knowledge to know that Mexico is a very dangerous place, and then when you're trying to do research on where to go, yeah, I just feel bad for them, but... Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough situation. You know, we've been talking to our next guest for years and years on this show, and I've talked to her. I've talked to her on a yacht. Mm. She was on the yacht. Yeah, I was about to say, what? You in were on middle, a yacht? In the middle of the ocean overseas, and uh, you just never know where this telephone hookup is going to happen. But mm-hmm. I can tell you today, today... Teresa Payton is at Quantico. That's where she is right now. It's so cool. Am I right, Teresa Payton? You are right. Uh, I did not run on the same running trails that uh, Jodie Foster did in Silence of the Lambs, but I did take a look at them, and I stayed on the road. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, you can see them, and you said, I'm just not going to take that same route. I'm just going to wave at those folks as I pass them by in my automobile. (laughs) So what are you doing there this morning at this early hour? Yeah, yeah, this is an incredible week. Such an honor to be here. Um, This is the cyber academy that the FBI holds to strengthen partnerships between the FBI and private sector companies and those uh, protecting companies. Uh, It's an incredible week. We get to meet all these dedicated men and women who are serving the country in many different ways. Um, And uh, we actually get a little bit of hands-on demonstrations as well. Uh, but it's a really great week. It's Chatham House rules, so a lot of what we discuss here uh, won't you know, be covered publicly. But uh, something interesting, due to COVID protocols, this FBI um, Academy for uh, Cyber was held last year in Charlotte, but it is back um, here at Quantico at the FBI Academy. Uh, and just a really great group of uh, FBI individuals that are here, as well as private sector. How lucky are we that we know that you are there making sure that our country and our world is safe? Because you, I feel like you know more information than just about anybody. So let's get into some other uh, security issues, some headlines that um, are super important this week. One that I saw that I wanted to touch on with you is about the uh, the EPA and the public water supply safety. This is not something that you think about when you think of cyber security. No, it's not. And obviously, we all want to make sure we have clean, safe drinking water. And um, we've had two incidents in this country. And so people may not realize um, there was an employee uh, for one of the uh, water districts in Kansas in 2021 who tampered with the water system, remotely accessed it, and shut it down. Who needs nation-state hackers when you know a mad employee can do it themselves? There was another incident in Florida where somebody attempted uh, to poison the water, uh, again, through sort of technical means. So we've got a real challenge in this country where many of our water supply systems are supplied by smaller entities who don't have large budgets, who uh, a lot of times this infrastructure was built to distribute water in a clean, safe way. And they didn't have to worry about people on the Internet accessing the systems. 
um, and doing something. So um, we've got a real uh, danger here, but the good news is, is there's a lot of lessons learned from those two incidents, and they are being applied, and the EPA is asking all water districts, if you don't have the resources, please contact the federal government. There are grants. There are free resources that can be used. Um, every single uh, department that's responsible for water in this country, large or small, needs to take note of these new EPA guidelines. Teresa Payton, our cybersecurity expert from Quantico as we speak today, uh, getting set to uh, speak there and participate in uh, some training activities. Now, um, uh, there's a gener general question uh, that we've been sort of trading text with you about, about whether the United States is going to update laws for children's digital privacy. And, and on top of that, uh, an article that caught our attention in the New York Post, and it's titled, I Pretended to Be a 14-Year-Old Boy on TikTok, and What I Saw Terrified Me. And if you go further into this, uh, this person impersonates a 14-year-old boy, but really uh, creates an account, but then passively just waits in, to see what auto-generates mm -hmm. as far as uh, uh, other users on TikTok and would come into the, to their feed. And it really is mind-boggling again and what happens when all the, it's, it's a passive account uh other than the fact that they you know join but but the 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 users that come in contact with someone who is purporting to be a 14 year old child is uh it's amazing what is out there and it's uh, it ought to scare you to death actually it really does and so this speaks to the black box that is algorithms of social media platforms. And uh, it would be interesting to do this study across multiple platforms with the same profile, with that, and you, you said it, that passive approach. So it wasn't like this reporter said, now let me go look at some things and like some things and spend some time on things. Literally all the reporter did was set up a profile, said it was a 14-year-old boy named Jaden, and then waited, and they set up the profile on TikTok and YouTube. Yeah. And the algorithm, without Jaden doing anything, decided a 14-year-old boy, let me serve you up narcissism, let me you know, uh, serve you up misogyny, let me serve you up, look, here's a, a boy around your age with a fist in a girl's face. What is happening here? And so this is this is a real clear and present danger for our youth, but also for us as adults. We don't need to be served up this stuff either. So these algorithms, these black box algorithms, social media companies need to be held accountable. You should be allowed to set up a profile and decide what you opt out of, what you opt into. And certainly, and you know, we still have ratings for movies. And if, you know, movies had things like, this, you couldn't take your child into the movie theater. They had to be accompanied by adults. But on the Internet, they can just be fed this stuff all day long. Well, and it socializes young people to believe a certain way or to think a certain way about other people. This is the, the in, in a deeper dive or maybe thinking about this too much. You know, TikTok especially, and this, this report is about a TikTok account. There's so much discussion about how nefarious TikTok is because it is a, an app that is a Chinese-created app. Is there potential that within that algorithm there is nefarious intent in trying to socialize our culture to be divided, to be misogynistic, to be racist, to be sexist, all of those things in order to take away our freedoms and power? Well, this is a concern. I mean, so TikTok does have a 
U.S. headquartered office. They've talked about how they've been separating the technology, so it's U.S.-based to protect the privacy of the profiles and, and things like that. But it is a concern that misinformation and disinformation campaigns can be proliferated on all types of social media platforms. This particular platform, its origin story, is a company headquartered in China uh, that has a background in doing algorithms uh, around serving up music. Um, and then the algorithms have now been fine-tuned for the social media, sort of this video sharing commenting platform that is TikTok today. Um, the algorithms have somewhat leapfrogged in some cases, uh, the algorithms of the other social media platforms. And it is not, um, you know, origin story, it is not a U.S. And, and initially originated uh, company. So there are some concerns that when you have another country, they could be doing influencing campaigns as well as censoring campaigns that don't follow the guidelines of sort of the United States and the moral compass here. All right, Teresa, we got to stop it there. Uh, let me say in closing that on International Women's Day, uh, I'm thankful for you and yes. I'm thankful for Beth Troutman, two of the most impressive women uh, that I know. So uh, thank you for what you're doing. And uh, uh, Clary, uh, I mean, Teresa, I hope you have a, a great day at Quantico. Uh, thank you, uh, Bo. Thank you for that. And, and Beth, appreciate you so much. Happy International Women's Day. And Beth and Bo, be safe out there. All right. For those of you keeping score at home, Beth has departed already. She is getting set to MC the uh, Isabella Santos Foundation event today at Carmel Country Club. I'm about to leave coming up at 9 o'clock because I'm headed up to uh, watch... Wake Forest play in the uh, ACC tournament. Nice. So nice. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Well, I got invited by my daughter. I'm sure there's take plenty of tickets I still know. available. No, you're right. Are you going? <laughs> no, this will this will be like the third year in a row that I haven't gone to the ACC tournament after going for like 20 straight years. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about the ACC tournament in a moment, but I want to get to something uh, with you guys. By the way, Brett Jensen's going to be in. He's here now. He's going to be with the governor next hour. Uh, from 9 to 10 to take us home today. So uh, a lot of moving parts, but we appreciate you uh, following along here. Uh, we haven't talked much about this, but I got two uh, NFL guys in the room here who follow the Panthers and the league, and Lamar Jackson. So yesterday, notable for a lot of things, today, yesterday was, was franchise tag day. Uh, if, if teams wanted to put the franchise tag on uh, a player in their organization, yesterday was the deadline, what, at 4 o'clock to do that. And uh, Daniel Jones is one quarterback that was that, that did not get franchise tagged with the uh, New York Giants. Of course, there's the speculation now about where Aaron Rodgers may go, could be to the Jets. But the Baltimore Ravens um, had until 4 o'clock yesterday to decide what to do with the franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. And in the end, they put the non-exclusive franchise tag on their quarterback, which means that uh, he is free to negotiate with other teams. He could still date. Yeah. So he can. Um, they, they have the opportunity to match any offer he will get. And so then at that so it's, it's kind of like being a restricted free agent. And so if he gets a good offer and it's too good to Baltimore's liking, uh, they can let him go to that team and get two first-round draft picks in exchange, or they can match the offer and keep Lamar Jackson. They seem like, Brett, like they want to move off Lamar Jackson and go in a different direction is the way it sounds like. Yeah, you know, yes, but there's – Look, Lamar Jackson has never had an agent. He and his mom are his agent. Mm -hmm. And of all the positions in the NFL, of all the positions in sports, court, uh, pitcher and quarterback are the two that need agents because they are the ones that can command, command the most money. And he's never had an agent. It's just him and his mom. He's been getting advice from others. 
And so there's been a lot of issues going on back and forth. The Baltimore Ravens for the last year and a half kept saying, we really want Lamar Jackson. We really want Lamar Jackson. We're trying to get Lamar Jackson, and Lamar Jackson's just not signing. And so He wants a guaranteed deal. Well, that's what all the rumors are, and or all the word is. And then Stephen A. Smith came out last week and said, people from Lamar Jackson's camp are telling me that he doesn't necessarily want a Deshaun Watson deal, five years, $250 million fully guaranteed. And so, so that's the sort of threw a monkey wrench into the whole situation on what, what he truly actually wants. But here's the problem. There are a lot of teams out there, including the Panthers, including the Falcons, all of whom have basically said, we're not interested in Lamar, and a lot of people are losing their minds over that nationally and locally. But just to get into the conversation, it's not the money. It's necessarily the problem. Like, okay, you want $200 million guaranteed, even though you've been injury-prone the last two years? You immediately, just to get into the conversation, you have to go, all right, we have to give up two first-round draft picks. Like, you start there before you even start negotiation in the contract, negotiating the contract. And I don't know a lot of teams that immediately want to give up two first-round draft picks and plus $200 million guaranteed at the minimum for a guy who's missed 10 games in the last two years because of injury. But some would say last year you had these teams that were lining up to talk to Deshaun Watson and all the baggage that comes with him, and yep. he hadn't played for over a year. And now you have a guy who is a former league MVP and Lamar Jackson. Just almost as soon as they made the announcement yesterday that they were putting the the, the non-exclusive tag on him, uh, you had the teams and their, their reporters lining up here. Uh, Diana Rossini uh, says the Atlanta Falcons will not be pursuing Lamar Jackson, which, you know, as I've heard most of the talking heads, that would be, if not Baltimore, that's one of the most likely places. So people mm-hmm. thought because, yeah. yes, you're 100% right, Jim. And Jim knows that. The entire I mean, NFC South would be yeah. <laughs> well, until, Derek, until Derek that's Carr true. signed with the Saints. And then, and then Joe Person with The Athletic, obviously a beat reporter for the Panthers, says Scott Fitterer certainly will discuss and has discussed Lamar Jackson because that's what he does. But Panthers are not expected to be in the Jackson market per league sources. Kimberly Martin then follows up and says Washington uh, makes sense but they apparently aren't going to pursue Jackson. And then uh, the only team, the, the uh, let's see here, it says uh, uh, Vincent, uh, I can't even pronounce his last name, but he's the Raiders beat reporter, says if you're wondering if the Raiders will be involved with Lamar Jackson, the answer is very unlikely. So, you know, lining up right there, all these teams that could potentially negotiate with him now apparently aren't. Somebody will, though. I mean, it's it's very early. We're just entering into what will be free agency time coming up. So somebody will um, have him, obviously, next year, and someone's going to probably come off the hip with those two first-round picks. But um, it, it won't be – I can't imagine it's the Panthers. I think they want to no. go the right so, route no. of the young quarterback. Do both of you believe that that team will not be the Baltimore Ravens? I think he ends up playing for the Baltimore Ravens this year for $32.5 million or whatever it is, $35 million this year for one year. And then if they re-sign him and put him on a franchise tag again next year, it goes up to like $45 million. But, you know, the thing is, I don't – I mean, it doesn't make sense for the Panthers, just like when Colin Cowherd went on air last Friday and said that the Panthers were the perfect place for Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers should be coming here. And everyone kept saying Derek Rod- Derek Carr should be coming to the Carolina Panthers because it's the perfect place. It made no sense for Aaron Rodgers to come here for one year. And I don't think it makes a lot of sense right now for for uh, for Lamar Jackson to come here. I mean, I really so, don't. So so Brett thinks that he will be a Raven this yes. coming season. You think what, Zoke? I'll take the field. The field. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you know, the Ravens are the default, but I think they're hoping uh, to, to move on and hit a yeah. restart button. Oh, it, it'll be a, a default. Look out for the Jets if they don't yeah, get Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, the Jets are Aaron Rodgers. they don't get Aaron Rodgers. 39, so yeah. Right. All right, I, I'm, I'm late to traffic, but uh, you've given me another question. Real quick, like a one-word answer or a few-word answers. Aaron Rodgers... 
plays where? Where will Jets. he play? Jets. I'm going to say Jets also. Okay. All right. That it will work out. There we go. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Uh, yeah, you know that sound. It means the return of the state treasurer, Dale Falwell, who joins us every other week here on Good Morning BT. Mr. Treasurer, hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me this morning. Yes, sir. And, uh, well, uh, this is something you were in the House for just uh, a few nights ago. In my six years as governor, you legislators and I found plenty to disagree about. But we have found areas of common ground to strengthen our communities, create opportunity, and make our state more resilient and prepared for the future. That's uh, the governor, Roy Cooper, his state of the state address, and then uh, Mark Robinson uh, after him giving the GOP response. Like I said, uh, you're a member of the Council of State. You were there in the room. Uh, What were your thoughts on uh, the state of the state? Well, I I attend every state of the state, and uh, I pray for every governor like I pray for every president. And I was disappointed as... Uh, he was talking about Medicaid expansion, that he didn't uh, go to the, I, the thought that our problem with health care in this state is, is the cost. It's not a revenue problem. You can't fix a, you can't have a revenue solution to a cost problem. And uh, so I was disappointed that he didn't talk more about what's actually happening to people in the state re- regarding health care. And, and also, you know, the state of public education. And uh I sit on the State Board of Education in addition to 18 other duties and responsibilities, and uh, our test scores are, uh, across the state have just uh, are, are in horrific shape. And so I was disappointed that he didn't spend more time on those two areas. Well, and he uh, was in reflection mode for the most part, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, his counterpart, the lieutenant governor, uh, was uh, very much a forward-looking speech and sort of uh, letting people know who he is. Uh, what did you think of Mark Robinson and his uh, response? Well, I didn't, I didn't look at Mark Robinson's response. I was, um, uh, you know, but, you know, in the past, it's, uh, his response to anything has always been to attack problems, not attack, I mean, attack people, not attack problems. So... I'm not sure if he did more of that that uh, that night or not, but you know, people are just tired of the drama. Um, it just seems like the left and the right wing are connected to the same bird these days, <laughs> and uh, and it's sort of meant to keep people separated. And we need to really come together on these important issues. So, Bo Thompson, Brett Jensen, and uh, a voice you know well. Uh, he needs no introduction. Hey, hey, uh, the treasure. We got a great treasure. I'll tell you, he's doing a great job. I do have a question for you. During the state of the state speech, all the Republicans sat down during Medicaid expansion when the governor brought it out, but they all voted for it. I haven't figured this out. So are they are the Republicans for or against Medicaid expansion? And then the lieutenant governor didn't even bring it up in his response. I mean, it's the largest expansion of government in North Carolina history. Where are the Republicans on this in, in Raleigh right now? Well, I, I, I don't speak for what's happening in the caucus or why people didn't clap or didn't stand up on that particular point, uh, Governor McCory. I'd, but I can just say that uh, my responsibilities as a state treasurer is to try to make sure that, that our families can afford health care. And as I said a few moments ago to Bo, our problem with health care is not a revenue problem. It's a cost. <coughs> it's a cost problem. And uh, this is an example of people who apply for these jobs, and then when they get to Raleigh, Washington, uh, whatever they put on their job application uh, just doesn't seem to matter anymore. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, we have to, you know, just 
tell people how we feel about particular topics and how I feel about this whole topic is that uh, we need to most of the Medicaid expansion bill needs to be focused on how we cut the cost of health care. Cutting the cost of health care makes health care more accessible. Speaking, by the way, they had, they, they've asked for no waivers either. That's something I examined was waivers when you and I were working together, and there's no mention of any waivers in the deal with the federal government. Evidently, there's been more carrots and sticks put into the Medicaid expansion conversation. Um, through the Biden administration than there, than there were previously. I don't, I'm not aware of all those carrots and sticks. I just want to make sure, and I'm not sure of this, that Medicaid expansion is not going to rise, raise the cost of health care on those that teach, protect, and serve. you got about 30 mm-hmm. seconds. I do want to get your take on uh, the Novant takeover of uh, two hospital systems near Charlotte that we uh, up at Lake Norman, Novant Health, signing that agreement. What about that? Just more of an example of the cartelization of health care in North Carolina. Uh, Bob Herman put out a report this week in STAT Plus, S-T-A-T, uh, the plus sign, talking about the antitrust issues. And we're just seeing more consolidation in health care into the hands of fewer and fewer of these multi-billion dollar corporations who disguise themselves as nonprofits who are run by these multi-million dollar executives who don't have the courage to tell you what your product, their product cost and don't even have the courage to tell you how much they make at these multi-billion-dollar corporations. He, he didn't hold back on that one. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to have to uh, uh, we're going to have to roll here. I appreciate you coming on uh, as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Well, your listeners should go to nccash.com, and thank you for having me. All right, there he hey, is. Hey, thanks for your service, Treasurer Mr. Falwell. Treasurer. I'm Bo Thompson. I am actually leaving now. Headed, oh, headed to the. I AC's. walk in the studio and you head out, that's and right. Beth's already gone. That's right. Yeah. I, I, and me you? and Brent are going to be by ourselves for the next hour. Brett, we're gonna. This is gonna be a revolution. Well, I was gonna say, five minutes. There's no promises that the studio will still be standing. This is gonna be a revolution. We're gonna play the revolution song. Uh, I'm gonna go watch some basketball. Come on, baby, light my fire. Beth's already gone. There you go. Uh, And Brett Jensen and Governor McCrory will take you home. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'll treat you with good old-fashioned common sense and nothing else. The movement of everyday Americans from every walk of life. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. This is 300-level college education. Exercise of common sense. Time to play the game! This is expensive stuff that you're getting for free. This is part of the movement of common sense. 14 years as Charlotte Mayor. Governor of the Tar Heel State, Pat McCrory. We now North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory. Governor North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory is joining us for the first time as an official NBC News contributor. Joining us now with North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory. Four years as NC Governor. This is quite an honor for me today. I'm overwhelmed, and I'm honored to be on the main street of our beautiful capital city. Boy Scouts in the audience, and they may be getting scared. We served together when I was governor of Indiana, and uh, he did a great job. Pat McCrory. I honestly, uh, Bo, I don't, I don't know how good he is on radio. You'll have to tell him that I said that. Get back to me. Y'all, this is Pat McCrory <laughs> in the Lake game. That's more fun than being the governor, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here sitting in for Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. It's Wednesday, so just because they're not here doesn't mean that he's not going to show up, and that's Governor Pat McCrory. Bo Thompson's riding home right now, listening to the radio, shaking in his shoes right now. He's going, oh, my God, I gave the studio up to Brent and to McCrory. <laughs> Really? He's right now, you know him. Oh, I mean, he's oh, such a oh. diehard. He's such a boy scout. He's the greatest guy I've ever met, and I hate him because of it. Because he's so nice. <laughs> he's laughing right now. Oh, he's of course he is. Of His course. parents are wanting to get to me right now. <laughs> um, we got a lot to get into today. There's going to be some stuff later on where I'm going to interview Governor McCory about a lot of different things. And full disclosure, he and I have done this before, and every single time we do this, he literally, just like a real interview, has no idea what I'm going to ask him, doesn't know what the questions are, doesn't even know what the topic's about. But I know, especially early on, um, you know, there's some things that you specifically want to talk about and get off your chest. Yeah, we're going to – listen, if you can't take the truth, I'm going to tell you what the truth is. I'm going to step on the toes of both the right and the left. I'm going to step on the toes of politicians who say one thing but do another. And I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat because I'm out of the game right now. I'm in a different game right now, but I, I, I've played the game. I've been played by the game. I'm here and continue to do this one day a week to expose the game. And we need to do more of that on both sides because a lot of this game is about money and power, just like in your life and your business, in your own life. It's about money and power and greed. And we've got a lot of that going on right now. And um, I've devoted – the fourth quarter of my life to exposing the hypocrisy because I've played the game. I've been played by the game and I want to expose the game, but I'm not going to do it in a mean spirited way. I'm not going to call people names. I'm not going to judge people's intelligence. I'm going to answer your questions real directly. I'm not going to repivot either from your questions during the next hour, but some of your listeners might not want to hear what I have to say because it doesn't follow the agenda of what people want to hear. Because right now, the media, everyone listens to what they want to hear mm-hmm. and what they agree with. Our, our medias are so segregated right now by political bias by because they're satisfying the audience. And by the way, that's one reason why I'm doing NBC and I did Meet the Press this week. I'm very direct on Meet the Press. And I I commend them for allowing me to be on because it's three-on-one. But if you've noticed, this Sunday, I didn't hold back. I did not hold back. And I had Susan, what was her name, from Page, from from, uh, USA Today, go, well, if you do that, that means Biden wins. And I go, what's wrong with a choice? What's wrong with having another choice? So I was stepping on some toes on on Meet the Press the other day. It's always three to one when you're on Meet the Press, though. It's been that yeah, way forever. Yeah, it's, it's same thing on on Fox that's when right. it's three to one against right. Juan Williams. Yeah. <laughs> Juan you Williams. know, it's always three or it's four to one against uh, Juan because the oh, whoever's right. moderating. And who's the black woman that used to be on CNN that got in trouble for leaking the questions to Hillary Clinton? Oh, oh she's on ABC now oh, this really? week. Yeah, yeah, she's she's she, she, she's she went, a paid she was, ABC yeah, analyst. See, she was on Fox and now she's at. But ABC. But you see, what yeah. they're doing is. They know the demographics of the audience that are listening to them. Mm-hmm. They know the advertisers of the audience that are listening to them. Everything's in a silo. Everything's in a silo. It's true in radio, too. It is. 
It's true in radio. And so I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I'm going, okay, this is the way the game works. And part of the game is to appease you, the listener, so you won't change the channel. And this is true on TV. This is true in radio. When we come back, we're so going to you talk might to change the channel because <laughs> you might not like some things I say. Um, when we come back, we are going to uh, talk real briefly about some stuff going on in Atlanta and the January oh, 6th. Oh stuff. my gosh! And if he, you can count me out when it comes to destruction, as John Lennon says, right? Yep. And then we're going to and David from Asheville came just for mine. <laughs> hey, David. Uh, well, there's actually some stuff that I want to talk to you about that David from Asheville will be very interested in. Well, he's already fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so we're gonna do an interview with Pat McCory. He has no idea what my questions are gonna be, and um, and also we're gonna talk a little bit about the J6 stuff as well as what's going on in Atlanta. Right now, let's swing on over to the WPG uh, Traffic Center. Bo, are you still there? Bo, Bo's listening right now on the way. Good morning, BT. Brett Jensen sitting in for Bo Thompson and Beth Proudman. As I always like to say, it only takes one Brett to do the job of a Bo and Beth. But uh, Governor McCory is still here, as he is every single Wednesday. This could be my last Wednesday, though, after what I say today. God knows. And right, HR is sitting at the window right now, ready to storm in if I say anything politically incorrect. David from Asheville put a little stick through the door <laughs> to stop it. Thank you, David. HR puffing stuff. Governor, thoughts on... Once again, with all the videos coming out with Tucker, Tucker Carlson, because he had access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of the January 6th stuff, and also comparing that, or is there any similarities to everything going on in Atlanta about the protests not wanting a new police center? Well, this is all coordinated. Listen, I've had to deal with violence as a mayor and as a governor, and I know the game. And the game is there are radical left and right groups that end up being the same. And their goal is to cause destruction and revolution. They want anarchy. They're called anarchists. And the people in Atlanta right now are anarchists. They're Antifa. And I said on this show two years ago that Antifa came to Charlotte and the left-wing media went, went ballistic. How do you know Antifa went to Charlotte? Because I had intel telling us. And it was about 25 people who caused the riot here in Charlotte and and then they pulled in other protesters to follow them. And what these, what these radical left and right people do who want to cause anarchy, anarchy, they want to destroy institutions of religion. They want to destroy institutions of government. They want to destroy institutions of business. They don't know what the – after they do that, they assume they're going to be the ones taking over them, right, because they're pure. Well, the Antifa in Georgia and Atlanta are trying to stop a police training center from being built. And I recognize these, they, all, they wear masks, they come in with backpacks, they have, they have firecrackers and bombs and Molotov cocktails in their backpacks. It's all coordinated. Then they bring other people with them. And those idiots who come with them follow them and then they leave. But they did arrest some of them, and most of them were out of state, which I used to see in Charlotte during mm -hmm. our riots. And most of them, some of them were even out of the country. But I see similarities with January 6th. There were about 25 to 50 people 
who were very well-trained, parlor military. They had the backpacks on just like Antifa. They knew how they were going to get into the building. They knew how to break the window and get in. And then they let the other idiots follow them, and they stepped out of the way. I'm tell- They understand group dynamics. That's part of the training. And I'm telling now I've got people on the left going, oh, that's not true on our side. And then I've got people on the right saying, that's not true. We wouldn't do that. Yeah, you would. It's called group dynamics. It's called mob, mob mentality. The communists and the fascists used to do this, too. The communists and the fascists used to stir up the mob and then get the mob reacting to the emotion and do things they would never do in their lifetime except they get this emotion. And they're mad, mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And as a result, I've had to call the National Guard, and then the National Guard and the police get in trouble for for being physical against the mob. And this happened on January 6th at our Capitol, and I'd always say, my God, the right doesn't do this. Well, sorry, January 6th did it. You don't attack police officers you don't break down barriers where the barriers say, don't move beyond this point. Even if there's one police officer that looks like Barney Fife going, you see this? You see this badge? This means something. You listen to me. You respect it. Those protesters didn't do that on January 6th. Mm-hmm. And in Atlanta, Antifa could care less. But they wanted mob to follow them. You see the, the films in Atlanta where they're throwing explosive material at these two poor guys trying to close the gate and they never closed the gate. It looked like Barney Fife. Yeah. (laughs) Andy, I'm trying to close the gate and they're throwing (laughs) explosions at me and they never closed the gate, but I give them points for, they were under fire. Oh yeah. And this is America. You see our constitution. I respect our constitution and, The two most powerful words in our Constitution, two of them, peaceful assembly. And that applies to both the right and the left. Peaceful assembly. I don't give a damn who you are. That means you can't threaten elected officials or police officers or school teachers or your emergency room doctor. And if the minute you start doing that, you're you're disrespecting the Constitution, the thin piece of paper that stops us from becoming anarchy that i feel so strongly about this and i'm if i'm stepping on yours as well that we're different because we're right well both sides think they're right but anarchists don't care because once the anarchy calls the destruction they walk away that is a that's true they walk away they usually don't get arrested i saw here in charlotte when i was mayor and a governor the guys who break the windows walk away after they break the windows then we arrest the people who go through the windows like what happened on January the 6th. They knew exactly what they were doing. And yes, some of them, and then the police are cold. Then the police, and I've seen this with city of police, and I saw this with the Capitol Police, they're, they're told to stand down. S- just stop. Get out of the way. We, we can't handle it. They've, these people will do anything. And, and even some of those Capitol Hill, we're not being paid enough to stop this crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know, we've been left abandoned here. So when we come back, I'm going to interview Governor McCory. He has no idea what my questions are going to be. Um, I'm going to look at your teleprompter. That you have in front <laughs> well, of well, unlike, the, unlike uh, the TV people in D.C., I don't have a teleprompter. You don't. You don't. Uh, so I've I committed don't. to answering your questions yeah. this next hour. We're not going to yeah. do any top five. 
McCrory Top 5. We're not going to do Freedom. We're not going to do I'm So Sorry, Uncle Albert. <laughs> We're going to do this like a podcast. Almost. Yeah, well, it's because, you know, you avoided me the entire time that I you were did. running for office. And so now I've got your crowd. You can't run anywhere. So <laughs> I've got you in the office. I got you in the studio. You can't go anywhere. You know, David from Asheville still has that stick in that door so no one can get in, but it also means no one can get out. So. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> so. Good morning, BT. Welcome back to Good Morning BT. Brett Jensen sitting in for Bo and Beth. Governor McQuarrie is here. We're going up until 10 o'clock. 704-570-1110 is always the telephone number here if you want something to say. And also make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. I'm still recovering from that tornado warning alert, which <laughs> right, was a practice right. test. Uh, all right. So it's interview time. Since you avoided me for a good eight or nine months while on the campaign trail, I've got you locked in the studio. So now's a good time, I thought, to interview you. Governor McCrory Avoid has... is the wrong word. Yeah. Run. Well, Run gov- is a better word. Governor McCrory has no idea what I'm going to ask. Literally has no idea what I'm going to ask. So I want to start off with something. David from Asheville slipped me a note and wanted me to ask you this very first question. Mm-hmm. When you were governor, how, and I know the CBD oil was a thing and it was just maybe coming out while you're timing governor, but now we've gone from that to now it looks like there's a very strong chance medical marijuana is going to pass in the North Carolina legislature and become a state law. Um, and allowing medical marijuana. What are your thoughts on that? I have real mixed feelings about it. I, I understand there are some people benefiting from it. I don't think it's been scientifically proven, but I'm concerned medical marijuana started in California and then it became legal marijuana within the day the dispensaries opened up because the police, I mean, the doctors just gave out the prescriptions like it was free candy. Oh, you want pot? Here. So it became a game. So I'll be real curious what restrictions they put on the people selling it regarding the distribution. And uh, because the fact of the matter is if you're under the 25, and I've studied this, I'm not anti-anti-pop, but if you're, I'm, I'm anti-disturbing the brain right now. And mental health is the number one problem in our country and in the state. And anytime you interfere with the way brain waves we're causing possibly long-term damage to the brain. And we have no idea what the cost of that is long-term. And right now there are really no studies on the long-term cost of people smoking pot, especially before the age of 25, when the brain is yet developed. And there are starting to be some things saying you might be stifling the brain from expanding and you might be causing serious mental health issues. Plus, Marijuana today versus marijuana 30 years ago, the THC in it and the chemicals in it, God knows. Only God knows. So, by the way, I feel the same way about liquor, too. I mean, now we're seeing the studies of liquor and the brain waves being disturbed and the mental health, the addiction. And marijuana is addictive, by the way. We, we pretend that marijuana is not addictive. The only reason you don't think marijuana is addictive because I don't need to have a joint every five hours. That's because marijuana stays in your system such a long time. And that's why so many people fail drug tests. The, but if you're a truck driver or a police officer or a firefighter or a doctor and you're using marijuana for your medical use, I don't want you driving that truck the next day. What are your thoughts on how it should be? Because I've, I've spoken to doctors about this. Yeah. 
In terms of it being dispensed, do you think it should only, if it passes, only dispensed at actual pharmacies like now or dispensaries that are set up like ABC stores? Oh, don't get me into the ABC store argument. That, those are great questions. Uh, I'll just tell you right now, the lobbying on this, the money being poured into Raleigh to pass this is a lot of money. And you've got some of the most powerful lobbyists convincing Republicans and Democrats to start this process. The money behind it against the recreational marijuana. I mean, just look at the marketing term. I've said this many times. You know, if the cigarette industry only would have been smart enough to call it recreational cigarettes and then some medical cigarettes, we'd still have the Winston Cup today. <laughs> well, Dave, I mean, that's all marketing. Yeah. Recreational marijuana. The liquor industry. Why don't we just call it recreational vodka? By the way, David from Asheville said that he now has glaucoma. <laughs> He's had it for a long time, and it hadn't gotten any better. And David from Asheville is an example of someone whose brain is no longer the same as it used to be. The smoke gets in your eyes. <laughs> but there, but, but just tell you, the game, the game is the lobbying on this is incredible, and yet very few politicians are talking about it. Did you hear it in the State of the State speech by Cooper? Did you hear it in the state of the state response by Robinson? They're afraid to talk about it. I think it was 36 to 10, I think is what it the, Neither passed. one brought yeah. it up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that shows me the power of money. But I could also say, frankly, I know of some examples of people who it's a better alternative maybe than other things they're doing. Welcome back to WBT, 1110-993. Brett Jensen here, final segment, sitting in for Bo and Beth. Hold on, I just got a note from HR. Please come to the VP's office immediately after the show. Is that for me or David or you? I think it's for me and David from Asheville. David's probably getting a promotion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So interviewing you, I just asked you about your thoughts about medical marijuana and it potentially come to North Carolina. Now I want to ask you some other things that are really big and hot on the burner, and it's going to be introduced soon and most likely pass. Gambling, sports gambling specifically in North Carolina, you can legally do it now, place sports bets, but you have to physically do it in the casino. Right, you know, the one in Kings Mountain and the one up in Cherokee, and I think there's one down in Murphy. Big money there. So what are your thoughts about <laughs> now being able to potentially gamble on your phone and there actually being like a betting service coming to Charlotte right right in Uptown, like a big place that they would put it in Uptown where you can place bets and watch your sporting events and everything else. What are your thoughts on legalized sports gambling? The cat's out of the bag and uh, now government's getting involved and want a cut of the action. What's amazing, though, if they want too much of a cut of the action, just like with marijuana, as we've learned in California and other states, the black market of gambling will continue because they'll go around saying, I'm not paying these taxes. I'll just go around the legal marijuana and cut through the regulation, and we'll just you know, do it back in the old days at the press box. <laughs> the press box. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. That that's was the right. old gambling it spot, was. you know, where the same old guys every night were – even the robbers knew it after a while. They'd go in and I remember one time the press box, the old press box, yeah. got robbed. And uh, the guys came in with masks and said, uh, give me your wallets and get down on the floor. And one guy went, 
I'll give my wallet, but I ain't getting down on that damn floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no telling what's on that floor. I love the old press box. <laughs> yeah. Camel rider. So I have, but again, big money. And, you know, the, the Republican, the conservative Republicans used to be against all Republicans. All gambling they used and to, now. They fought against the lottery in no, North the Carolina. the lottery, but the conservative Republicans have, uh, you know, the ones that called me that I'm not a true conservative, you know, in my Senate race are now voting for uh, medical marijuana, gambling, and Medicaid expansion. I was going to ask you about <laughs> Medicaid expansion. It's just amazes me. I mean, the Republicans were against that forever and ever during Cooper's tenure, and that's during why my we, tenure. Well, and that's why we didn't have with Cooper. I think for the first four years, or you know, or at least three years of it, we didn't have a budget because they refused. You know, there yeah. was just that impasse over the Medicaid expansion, so we literally didn't have a signed budget in the yeah. state for two or three years. What are your thoughts on that now that it's actually passed through the Republican-held, um, you know, legislature? Well, during the state of the uh, state speech by the governor, the governor was rubbing it in. We've got Medicaid expansion, and all the Republicans sat on their hands and crossed their crossed their hands and elbows and. Like they voted against it when all the Republicans, almost all the Republicans, voted for it, and they, these are the same Republicans that when I was governor, I went to I went and met with Obama and got in a big argument with them. Not an argument, but we were respectful. And I said, you know, they wanted me to do Medicaid expansion, the White House at that time. And I went to go visit. And I said, I'll hear your thing. They gave it to me, and I said, well, will you give me waivers for viable working men? Explain waivers. You get a waiver, an exception. That we will do it, but if it's a, a man between the age of 25 and 50 that we know can work, we're not going to give him Medicaid expansion. And Obama said, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, that's what I did for public housing when I was mayor. We'd give public housing, but we wouldn't give it to people who could work, and they refused to work. See, I'm a conservative. <laughs> well, I brought that proposal. Obama said no anyway. But when I got back to Raleigh, you know, uh, the current leaders of the House and Senate Republicans lamblasted me. How dare you even consider Medicaid expansion? In fact, they then put a bill on my desk saying we will not do Medicaid expansion. Those exact same Republicans are doing it now. And it's partly due to surveys. They won't admit that. And it's partly due to uh, very powerful lobbying by Blue Cross Blue Shield, by the hospitals, and by others. And and it's just amazing to see the Republicans sitting on not applauding for a vote they just made. You saw it. Overwhelmingly and, voting and, for it. And the lieutenant governor didn't even bring it up in his response. So why did the Republicans vote for it? Which is the biggest expansion of government in North Carolina history. Well, then why do you think the Republicans finally voted for it? The lobbying pressure. I mean, the lobbyists are – they're giving a lot of money to – I mean, not – Legal, it's legal, mm -hmm. but the political pressure was amazing from the hospitals, which have some of the most powerful lobbyists in North Carolina, which is why they hate Dale Falwell, Dale Falwell <clears throat> the treasurer, and, and um, surveys. And some people who used to work for the Republican legislature are now some of the most powerful lobbyists or spokespeople for the Blue Cross Blue Shields or the hospitals. I'm, I'm just telling you the game, guys, and – What's even more ironic, these are the ones who accused me of not being a true conservative when I ran for the U.S. Senate. And now they're 
it, it's just it's just I'll call it hypocrisy on both sides. We've got 45 seconds, Governor. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this because I know you know her father real well. But Rachel Hunt, native of Charlotte, lives here in Charlotte, said she's going to run for lieutenant governor. What are your thoughts on Rachel Hunt? Well, she changed her name back to Hunt when she first got into politics and her signs were the exact same signs as her father had when she was running for governor. And, and she won a very close election out in Matthews the first time. She will have more money than God when running because Jim Hunt, even in his 80s now, can raise some money. The trial lawyers will give her a ton of money. The trial lawyers, many of the trial lawyers, 80% of the trial lawyers and the teachers unions who own Cooper and the Democratic Party and they own Biden, you see, I call it on both sides. They will give her a boatload of money, and they'll have a very good chance of winning that seat. Usually, the Democrats focus more on the attorney generals. They usually have let the lieutenant governor. They don't care about lieutenant governor, but this is obviously a steep way to her being the next governor or well, governor, U.S. Senate candidate. We got through. The walls are still somewhat standing. Bo's going to have a place to come back to tomorrow. Burn, baby, burn. <laughs> oh, I just, I, I'm just talking about violence right after I gave a big lecture about violence. But it's Bo Thompson, yeah, you know. Boy Scout. All right, so Bo and Beth will be back tomorrow <laughs> in ACC tournaments tonight. Thanks, I do not have a show tonight because of the ACC tournament. So, Governor, always a pleasure. Good seeing you again. Thank you, buddy. All right, John Moore, Bernie, thanks a lot. I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Good Morning BT.